so Eddie's going to come on about five minutes before the start time just to test everything and make okay. sure we're in good shape. Um, yeah. So like, how did you want to kind of do this? Like just rotational questions or I just uh, don't want to like have like awkwardness of us cutting each other off or whatever, or like jumping from one question that has nothing to do with the next one. You know what I mean? Where's my sexy Eddie? Oh, there's my sexy Eddie questions. No, I, I don't know how you really want to do it. Um, we can definitely go back well, and forth. I'll tell you what I what I have for my questions, and we can kind of maybe structure it like I don't know sequentially or historically, whatever. Um, I have an opening for him, if that's okay. It's it's pretty like I think it'll get get, get us right into a, a good question. So well, he was down here for doing a show for Busted Knuckle, and I wanted him to do like a sound bite for me where I was asking different wrestlers, just one question, but it was like a, an off the wall question. I, I was going to ask, but he was in a rush or something. And I said, well, we can do it over the phone. He's like, ah, I'd rather do it in person. But I told him the question I wanted to ask, cause obviously he's introduced as 200, whatever pounds plus five pounds of cock meat. And the question I wanted to ask him was where does someone go to get their cock meat weighed? I'm just afraid of that question. <laughs> Right. Well, that's kind of what I wanted. I did want to get into was I would say dodge that it's I don't want to go there. Why don't you want to go there? Uh, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. All right, fine. Well, there goes that line of questioning. Uh, yeah. Okay. So like, he's, he's definitely like, he's living the gimmick. You're right. That's yeah. no problem. But I, I like, I just don't want to think like. I don't want to go there. That's too like sensitive, too touchy. That that's yeah. And like I don't want to put him in a weird spot to speak about it. Like I don't know. I think steering clear of that stuff. Fine. Yeah. If he brings I, it like, up, can I go with it? If he brought anything up about it, sure, but like I I don't know if uh I don't know if he will, but it's everybody knows sexy Eddie the gimmick. But maybe we can kind of pass it by him when he gets on here. Like, hey, before we get going, what's off limits? What do we avoid? He's a pretty I, open I'll, book. I know. But like, well, but that's what I mean. Like, the, Eddie is pretty open, period. So I don't, I don't think. We don't want to ruin the mystique of sexy Eddie. <laughs> you do realize this is a shoot interview, right? Of course. But okay. Ryan, uh, I, I let you drive this podcast. I really do. So if you don't want me to do it, I won't. I just want to make sure, no, but I want to make sure you guys, that this is working. I'm like really bad at this stuff. I mean, I used to dial the 1-900 sex line. Nobody does that anymore. <laughs> now it's free on the internet. So yeah. are you guys seeing me? You're hearing me good? You're seeing me I'm, or what? I'm hearing Eddie. I can't see Eddie. How come I can't uh, see Eddie, Matt? I don't know. I see the name sexy Eddie, but I don't see a, uh, a video. He's just an icon. He's a little like meme. <laughs> oh, I mean, if you guys can, can tell me, start video. There's a button. I'm going to press something and see what happens. Yeah, oh, start video. There we go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Now we're rocking. Okay, cool. Eddie, do you still have the sideshow bob hair or is it gone now? It looks like you shaved it. 
I could still make it, actually. I cleaned up for the show. I, I did a little shave on the side, and it's got a little man bun thing going. Right on. <laughs> got to keep evolving with the times and stuff. That sideshow, Bob, was uh, that was a special. Uh, that's my wake-up-in-the-morning look. So That usually, killed me. Well, that's the thing. You go to bed <laughs> with someone, and she's like, man, what a wrestling superstar. And then they wake up next to a serial killer. That's the best way to get them out of your bed. <laughs> Real fast. Get them out. Time to go home. No breakfast. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, okay, Matt, you had like administrative stuff for Eddie, right? Oh like, yeah, we gotta we gotta of... get we gotta get a couple things out of the way. Number one, Eddie, is there anything off limits? Um, no, and I was gonna ask you the same thing. Is it PG or is it more like anything content? I mean, you know, just in anything. Case. I I click just, a little I, button that I, says explicit, and we're done. <laughs> Oh, I wanted to ask you, do I turn the camera like sideways or long way? We only use the audio, so it doesn't. I, I hate to, to bust your bubble that you did your hair and everything. <laughs> we only use the audio. Uh, fuck this. Ah! Oh, yeah, exactly. Just go ahead and just like let it out. Um, so, Eddie, you've worked lots of green wrestlers and today you're working a green podcaster. This is my fourth episode ever. <laughs> so when. When I reached out to you, I was like, you know, like we need like, this is our first interview. You'll be our first interview. This is, um, so I was like, you know, it would be nice to have someone with some name recognition who's been around for a long time and has some tie-ins to the Ottawa scene. So I was like, I know who's perfect for this. And I, I mentioned to Mark, I was like, do you think Eddie would be down for a podcast? And I was like, yeah, of course. Eddie's a great guy. So I was like, all right, let's go with Eddie. And uh, here we are. Obviously, but, you guys don't know me that personally then because I'm a piece of shit. No, Eddie. <laughs> So, yeah, like we didn't, we worked a bunch of shows together, but like, you know, I was a, a green kid who kind of just kept my mouth shut most of the time and didn't get to know you like on a personal level very well, but yeah. you have a reputation of being one of the nicest guys out there. So don't, don't tell me you're an asshole. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I try, I try, you know, sometimes and not let anyone, uh, all the people know that, but yeah, after the interview, you'll be like, oh, that was pretty cool. and stuff. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah. So here's where I want to start with Eddie and, um, it kind of goes into the creation of the podcast. So we open up our Twitter account, Cornerstone Wrestling Podcast, and I'm starting to add uh, wrestlers who have, you know, an Ottawa tie-in. They're born in Ottawa. They've worked lots of shows in Ottawa, whatever it may be. And I've had, I, I've had sex with several girls from Ottawa. Does that, that <laughs> not just uh, don't limit yourself to just Ottawa? Hold on, no, I have no, to make, right. I have to make note exactly of that to talk know. later. <laughs> yeah, okay. So I go to Eddie's profile and go hit the follow button. And the first thing I see there is this tweet of Eddie's that's pinned to the top of his page. And it says, please help me get unblocked by Jim Cornette. And there's a YouTube video. And I watched this thing and I was dying laughing watching this. So, Eddie, what, what's the story with this Jim Cornette video and being blocked by Cornette? And why is he pinned to the top of your Twitter? All right. So start from the beginning. Um after my first uh, big weekend at WrestleMania, which was in New Jersey, uh, 2019 edition, right? Before, uh, is that right? Or is that 2000? I'm trying to think. Before we went into the, the whole COVID thing. 19 so was the last before pandemic. Okay. Okay, cool. So if that's the last one, it was in New Jersey, New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I did a couple shows there. And um, I did a notable thing was like a, a moonsault. So it's a backflip from the top rope, but I do it naked holding my junk. Now I had done this a couple times uh, before, but this was my one thing that I wanted to do in it's a special match. It's called uh, the Joey Janela's uh, spring break. 
and it's a called the cluster F match. So I'm saying that actually it's I'm not throwing an F bomb for nothing. It's called the cluster fuck match. Why is it called that? <laughs> because there's sometimes about 60 guys in that match, uh, including Ottawa's own um, Cecil Nix was in that match. Um, uh, there was Mantar uh, from uh, old WWF times, uh, S.A. Rios, uh, and, and some of the current uh, superstars from AEW. But it's a random show that happens at midnight. It starts at midnight. The actual clusterfuck match is after like two, three matches. And it's, it's, it goes for about an hour and a half or something. So anyways, my big thing that I wanted to do when I, uh, I, I told Joey Janela was like, I just want to do my naked flip. And that's it. It's almost an in and out. Because if you're in there too long, people kind of forget stuff. You know, every time you see a, a Royal Rumble match, someone's a house of fire. Boom, boom. You, you bump everyone. You hit them. You knock them down. You do some of your special moves and stuff. And, and then the next guy comes in, right? So I don't have that much flashy stuff. So I was just like... Let me get my, uh, let me come out with just a towel. Let me get it ripped off. I'm holding my junk and I get to the top rope and do a moonsault. I hit, hit someone and then I'm eliminated in and out. But because of that, um, my, one of my media guys, one of my buddies who takes care of this stuff, cause I can't figure it all out. Uh, I still had a MySpace page and he was like, get rid of that. Nobody needs that. Um, so he said, you need to get on the Twitter, you need to get on the Instagram, because people are talking about you right now, you're trending. And I was like, I didn't know I'm treading, treading water, trending, like, I didn't know what it meant. And um, so it, once he said, no, get on this. So we got on it. And um, as soon as he opened, like my Twitter thing, and, and all that stuff, um, I think it was a couple days after that, it was just like, you've been blocked from Jim Cornette, or somebody somebody who was friends of him said, I don't know, somehow somebody had a screenshot of this. And I'm like, I did not do anything to deserve like just being blocked because I guess one of uh, Jim's guys that takes care of the media side of his things is like, okay, here's the shit list of guys you do not want to be friends with or associate with because they are against the eighties midnight express, um, you know, stereotype, of a wrestler. So, you know, he's too entertaining. So right away I was kind of blocked and I'm like, that's unfair. At least somebody should give someone a chance or a reason, you know, but because also my, my main picture was me with just, you basically saw my back and my ass was out. That was it. I was on a shit list. And so once twice a year, actually we do a summer and a winter edition. I go out with some of my buddies to a cottage and we drink and we watch a lot of wrestling videos and um, so, and sometimes I get too drunk and I start shooting promos. So my buddy's like, hey, you know, this Jim Cornette thing, let's do something about it. So he compiled a bunch of drunk promos that I've done while we were at the cottage, winter editions, summer editions, and he mishmashed them all with some music and Jim Cornette memes and things like that. And he made it a fun thing. He made it a project of his to do. So I'm like, sure, I'll stand in and hump a couch or whatever if you need this footage to help make this funny video. So he went and did that, pinned it, took took care of that. And again, a lot of people have watched it and it makes them laugh. And I like to tell people, especially was during the pandemic time, if you can't make people laugh, you can't entertain them in the ring, at least now we could use social media to entertain people and, you know, be stupid also. So that was kind of the whole premise of that 
if, if Jim didn't block me, then, uh, and I calling him Jim as if I'm good buddies with him. I'm sorry. I gotta say Mr. Cornette. I don't want to get, you know, sued or something by him. Yeah. It was just a fun thing that, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of the wrestlers in the world that doesn't take wrestling seriously. I mean, you know, again, you talk about people saying how it has to be a certain way and it doesn't, especially when you just look at the idea of, Hey, I'm throwing you one by one arm and you're bouncing off the ropes and you're bouncing off the next one ducking and you're bouncing off and just, you know, there's, so again, you want to take, you want to take wrestling and see how real it is, but you also want to be able to laugh at it. So, um, to, to Mr. Cornette and to everyone out there, there's something in wrestling for everybody. And my take on that is the real, I'm on the real entertainment side. And that's what I do best. And that's what people enjoy. And um, not all the crowds are people that are behind their keyboards telling us how they would book raw. There are a lot of kids out there that just want to have a good time and just want to disconnect from reality and cheer and boo as loud as they can. And that's what I've made it my job to do that as a wrestler. You know, one of the best at it. And then that's why we wanted to have you on the show, but you know, you kind of talked about like wrestling doesn't have to be one specific way. And I agree with you. And the funny thing about like, you know, I don't think it's heat with Cornette, but him blocking you is if he knew you as a wrestler, you have an appreciation for the classic wrestling just as much as you do the modern day stuff. And your versatility is what keeps you so adaptable. And, you know, it's, it's not like, it's just the, let's say the death match promotions booking you. It's, it's everybody's booking you because no matter what the promotion family friendly or kind of that, uh, you know, C4 PWG high work rate style promotion, uh, there's a spot for sexy Eddie. And I think that's a good thing. Not, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing. Why would it be? Cool. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. And it's, it's good to hear. I mean, we all have to remember the fundamentals and remember the history of wrestling because that got us to where we are because we liked watching it so much that we actually, there's one thing to just play around with your friends, but then it's another to go and take classes and to give up sometimes certain jobs or even give up some girlfriends because they don't understand that you want to wear underwear and play with your friends on the weekend instead of doing other stuff, you know? So for us to love it that much and go that far, um, yeah, you have to have an appreciation of the past to be able to build your own future. Um, and that, and, and that's, that's the same thing. Like um, if you're really good at doing something in a certain way, man, go for it. Uh, if you have weaknesses, hide them and work on them while you're showcasing your strengths, you know? Uh, but that's the thing. Sometimes some guys want to, let's say um, they start out as a comedy wrestler, but they want to get out of that. Um, or uh, hey, man, again, like I was my, my foot in the door in the, in the United States was through deathmatch wrestling. And um, who would have thought that I'd be doing things um, like uh, throwing people with my junk or using it as a magnet um, kind of to do spots. Uh, and you know, you could do that every night without getting hurt. The deathmatch wrestling, it takes a toll. And I know guys that, that have done it every weekend. And again, the career doesn't last that long. It's just eventually you get an infection, something happens or a serious injury, a piece of glass going into your back. It could, it could be 
fractions of an inch to your spine or something, you know? And it's only things you look at when you get older, you're like, wow, I should have died back then, but I'm lucky. So mm -hmm. um, to choose what you do in the future and how long you want to do it, you really have to evolve and adapt. Um, so that, yeah, in, in either deathmatch wrestling or being a character-based wrestler, which I, I've become, uh, as a, and that's something that Jim Cornette disapproves of deathmatch wrestling and comedy stuff, except he'll, he'll like some comedy stuff when it's guys that are already in, in the game and have been there for a long time, but someone new up and coming, he just shits on it, but that's, and that's fine too. That's, I, I like to listen to him. I respect his views. It's just that when people are so close minded and they're not open to other things, aspects of wrestling, uh, you know, if you look at a crowd and everyone's sitting on their hands, then what you're doing is wrong for it. And, and also looking at a card too, whenever I, I started doing this, when I was a lot younger, I look where I'm placed on the card for the fans that, 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 that are to understand, let's say I'm the third match, right. And the match before me has a cruiser, a cruiserweight three-way. So I know they're going to be doing flips and everything. So I don't want to put some flips in my match that won't be as impressive. So I might say, hey, we'll do some power moves or whatever, or we'll do some comedy. So it always depends. If I got um, powerhouses or technical wrestlers before me or whatever, then you know what? I'll change it up a little and I'll say, hey, we need to put some more of this. It's almost like um, a perfect recipe, a wrestling show. You got to add a lot of ingredients to get the perfect, the perfect recipe. If, if you just put too much of one thing, it, it doesn't taste good. I mean, it's a different way to look at it, but when you've been doing it as long as I have, um, you know, you, you know what works and you know some things that don't work. So we're all there to make the show better. Some guys still want to make theirs the match of the night. But um, it's like if everyone contributes good and knows their role on the show, you can make this thing great and everyone will keep coming back, you know, month after month. Um, so Eddie, I want to get into the, the deathmatch stuff a little with you as well, but, um, you mentioned getting your start in the States through deathmatches and I think specifically CZW, right? So a story that I've always heard, and I'm, I'm curious to hear, you know, your version of it, obviously, is that, you know, I don't think you'd ever take credit for where Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens are today, but is there some truth to the fact that, you know, you went to CZW and I believe that kind of opened up a lot of eyes on the Montreal independent scene and you were already kind of working in the States, but you had an opportunity to then work with some of the other Montreal guys, Kevin and Sammy. And I think excess was another one. And you had that sort of famous four-way dance. And I, I think it's fair to say that got a lot of new eyes on Kevin and Sammy. So do you mind telling us kind of like how that all came to be? Um, yeah, so doing the deathmatch thing, um, again, it, it's a clip that went viral. And from that, it kind of opened the eyes to IWS and all of Canada for wrestling. Even at the time, there's a lot of Canadians that were in the WWE, but they kind of uh, go unnoticed. And a lot of times it's funny when, uh, when a wrestler's a face, he resides in the States. They'll say residing from Florida, Edge or whatever. But when he's a bad guy, then he's from Canada, somewhere in Canada. It was something that, you know, you realize early on. But um, as for uh, the blood thing went viral. So accidentally pierced a vein in my arm resting in glass. It's funny to say accidentally. You know, you're going to bleed when you're playing with glass. But it just went a little too deep. And so I kind of went with it. 
because it was kind of like surreal to me, almost like a, a scene from a horror movie. So I exaggerated it. They did a water fountain, drank the blood. That opened people's eyes to IWS and Canadian wrestling. So they said, well, let's bring this Eddie character. Let's bring this clown in again. Let's see what he could do in a wrestling match. So they, uh, they asked IWS, give us three of your, like, your best wrestlers um, and let's have him do a four-way. Uh, even that day in the afternoon, there was a PWG four-way and we were at the night show and, and ours was more talked about. I think the American four-way had from California was Super Dragon, Excalibur, B-Boy. I'm forgetting the fourth person, but ours was more talked about. And he was like, who are these newcomers? Even to the point where um, Zandig, the promoter of CZW, the crowd, the crowd is chanting IWS, 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 which is weird when you're at another promotion. So he had to take the mic and kind of calm everyone down and say that we're invited anytime we've got uh, uh, carte blanche. So we got the uh, open, uh, the green light to come anytime. So already then they were like, okay, now this Eddie guy can wrestle too. Then I started doing also adding some comedy stuff or more character-based things with a girl and doing things like that. So, and, and it's a term that I, I got to learn afterwards when, when some guys like Chris Hero would tell me, he's like, no, dude, you're like a hybrid wrestler. When you can adapt to a different person and their style and make that match good or even great, then that's awesome. Because some guys you'll wrestle, they might not have a character. They might not, they might be new to the game. They might not even know many moves. So if you can adapt to them and make a great match, then, then that's cool. So it was kind of fun to be able to, that I wasn't pigeon, uh, pigeonholed in any particular category. I was able to do a little bit of everything and I like it that way. Uh, and it's given me longevity at the beginning. When I started, I was invincible and landing on my head all the time. Um, now at, uh, you, you know, at my age, it's, it's kind of like, I can't do that anymore. Uh, even, uh, it's been what a year and a half we've been, we've had no wrestling in Canada, or maybe there have been some like outlaw shows. I don't know if there's something going on, but I've been out of the game for a long time. I got my first show as a camping show this weekend. And I'm like, I need a little bit of time in the ring just to practice and not get a headache or something from the, you know, taking a bump first time in like a year and a half. I'm nervous, but I'm looking forward to that too. Uh, so again, the four-way dance got so much reviews that, uh, again, they wanted to see more IWS guys. And the crowds were like, we want more. So uh, we were bringing more guys like uh, Beef Wellington, Lefisto, uh, other guy, Frankie the Mobster, that, um, that were lesser known. And every time guys would go down that were performing at the IWS, it was making more and more uh, waves and those guys were getting to work at when C4 opened or uh, getting to work at different federations and moving around. So it got the eyes on kind of all of Canada because then people want to know where we're other, other shows that we're doing. And so it was really cool. And then getting um, some of the guys also from the Ottawa scenes slowly getting in. I think the first guys, I'm not sure if the first guys that got to go to CZW might've been from Toronto or uh, it was UWA Hardcore. Mm-hmm. I think because I think like Lionel Knight and Chris Bishop were working there and then they were doing some IWS. So we kept bringing more and more guys in, Um, uh, even like the Super Smash Brothers. I'm trying to think if they were a team when they started or if it was just player Uno at the time that came in first. 
uh, it might've even been Chikara because Chikara was also working sometimes at the old ECW arena and they'd sometimes do Sunday afternoon shows. So you'd get guys to come for the Saturday night and then the Sunday afternoon. So we're getting two bookings. Uh, yeah, we're leaving like Saturday early in the morning and then we're coming back at Sunday late at night, uh, you know, for two shows for peanuts, but we're doing it for the love of wrestling. So there's no one that can take that away from us because when you're traveling, you know, seven and a half uh, to 10 hours, I guess, depending where you're from, uh, to do 15 minutes max in the ring, you know, there's some love and dedication in there. So whatever anyone says, if we're not doing something right or whatever, we got there and we were, we were in demand. So if we weren't doing things, what the professionals do, hey, we were learning as we go along. So um, all that to say that some guys also take in wrestling a lot more than others and are sponges. Uh, Kevin and Sammy were two examples of that, that could do a match forwards and backwards and remember everything they had to, they had to remember. Yeah, so they were really serious on it and they met the right people, the right timing and everything. I know that they would have gotten there eventually um, it's just that my blood incident happened to get there, them there maybe a little faster. As far as Sexy Eddie goes, like I look at Sexy Eddie and it, it's it's not just a gimmick. Like this, this is a commitment. This is like when you're going to come out and you're talking about, you know, doing moon, moon salts with your junk in your hand. And you're coming out, you're, you're grinding and you're dancing and, you know, five pounds of cock meat and the whole, that's a, that's a commitment. But at the same time, I want to back up what, even before the death match. And usually I don't like to talk like, Oh, so when you first got into wrestling, take us back because it must be such a, a, a flip side of the coin. Take us back to sexy Eddie first getting into wrestling. Well, again, you got a, a guy that, um, I say like was a virgin for longer than he would have liked to admit it. And um, I just wanted to have a girlfriend or girlfriends. And it was simple. I loved wrestling. So I said, Hey man, this sexy character seems to work on TV, you know, in, in my mind. So let me just do that. If I just tag a sexy character on me. And again, I didn't think, I didn't even know you used your, your real name or a fake name. I didn't know anything. I didn't have any background or nothing. So we did a, a barbecue show and um, I just was sexy Eddie. That was it. It was like, and it's kind of stuck, but um, you don't, you, you don't just become sexy because you put yourself a name like that. It, it kind of took some years to, 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 to find yourself and you, you imitate your inspirations, but to then break off and be your own self and be comfortable in your underwear too, is another thing. Once I got to that point, then the girls kind of, um, cause you, you let out an energy, whatever you do, if you're good at it, you let out an energy and people want to be around a person that gives good vibes. And so when I was able to own my character and really, um, take off from that, then it was like what my, my goals at the beginning were now coming to fruition. And, um, so I tell people like, um, you know, sexy is a state of mind. It's, it's a, it's a confidence thing. It's, it's um, so that, that's, that was the whole point of it. And from there, I, I did not know how things would go. If I, I would have been, if I would have known back then, I would have 
said, hey, I should have played an instrument or played hockey because those guys get hottest chicks. <laughs> Everyone knows that in wrestling, you don't get the hottest chick. Look around the crowd, you know. But um, no, it, it kind of came afterwards because once you do it so often and you get comfortable and used to something, then um, it, it just becomes almost second nature. So I'm behind the curtain and I can be talking to someone about their kids or something. And then my music's playing and it's like it's a switch that turns on and off. Like anyone that can say that's been wrestling long enough, you know, you just switch it on, switch it off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't walk around in the grocery store in my underwear. I mean, if I did, I'd probably go to jail, but if enough people knew me and I was on WWE, then they would be like, no, they'd probably be encouraged. But you know, when you're not on the mainstream, uh, on the main stage where 99.9% of wrestling fans are looking at you, you're in that, you know, 0.1%. So that's the difference between independent mm-hmm. wrestling also and, and the mainstream wrestling. And I want to say more WWE because there's still fans that don't really know what AEW is or ring of honor uh or tna or impact you know the main uh the main ones nwa some of them only know wwe and it's not their fault i mean that's all i knew when i started but then when i discovered ecw and fmw in japan and wing i was like whoa it opened up a whole new world and i was like I thought wrestling had to be only one way it kind of showed me that it can go many different ways so it helped probably um you know character wise too just to go different ways yeah so i think where i want to go now so eddie like i only did this for like seven or eight years and you know i have a tremendous amount of respect and appreciation for someone like yourself who's been in the business for over 20 years and at the independent level too that's you know a lot of miles on the road a lot of time away from home a lot of bumps along the way and um you know to be able to do that you you have to be passionate about what you do and you're a guy who's absolutely passionate about this and um you know all the times i interacted with you you were in a positive mood and you you do this with a smile and um you know, you, you mentioned it's it's going to be the first show back uh, this coming weekend after a year and a half and, and going through this pandemic, which is no doubt, uh, you know, it's been horrible and, and a long year and sucked for all of us. But for someone like you, who's a veteran, uh, is there a bit of a silver lining in the pandemic in that, you know, you've had some time to maybe uh, recover from old injuries or just give the body some rest after 20 plus years of bumping? Um. It's funny because um, the, the times I could say this is weird, but let's say when it's Christmas holidays and I hadn't had a show in a while, I wake up more sore than I would when I wrestle. On weekends where I'm wrestling, I feel it kept my body a little bit more in check. I just get lazy when there's a couple weeks of no wrestling. And my, then it's like, I think the aches and pains come out more. Um, I've had my fair share of injuries. It's weird though. It's like, sometimes I think I wrestle better when I do more shows and it gives me a reason to kind of try and stay in shape Um, without wrestling. I don't know if I'd want to go to the gym. Like I had considered being a a competitive eater at one point. And I was like going and training. Why? When I could just eat like junk food and stuff like that. And I tried, but I wasn't really good at it. Um, So, and I think I actually, I realized that in uh, it's called Lone Star. I think it's in Ottawa. Is in Ottawa. Yeah, that's right. Or, we have a couple Lone Stars. Yeah. So that was where I realized when I failed the um, uh, the Terminator burger or something like that, the, the Terminator. And I was like, if I can do this, I'm going to keep going. And so 
it was a restaurant in, in, in Ottawa where I'm sitting alone at a table where everyone's watching and you got that one hour clock to eat. And um, I was like, okay, maybe I'll just stick to wrestling. I'm making people laugh and having fun. But, you know, sometimes after you do a show where there's not that many people, you might question yourself. So I just thought it's a lot easier to eat than it is to train, right? But um, if you want a longer life and just to enjoy life, period, not just wrestling, it's good to kind of have a balance. So, uh, yeah, during the pandemic, I don't think I healed up. Cause I don't, I never had anything really bad to heal up from. Um, I just really missed entertaining people and, and uh, interacting with them uh, and, and making kids smile. I realized over the pandemic, um, especially after the WrestleMania weekend, when, when I went to go see my first WrestleMania, I was up in the nosebleeds and I was really disappointed to see how many adult fans were there and not kids. Cause I, always i always we all want to when we start to get make it to the wwe that's our our main goal but it hit i hit a wall where it was like there's too many adult fans here and i really like doing this for the kids even though when it's an over 18 crowd then i can push the limits but i really have fun watching kids their eyes light up when you give them a high five as i did when i was a kid at my first independent show you're watching shows from WWE and you're far, far away. I still ran up to the ring to try uh, the, the, try, the rail trying to touch them. But at an independent show, my first one, I was giving a high five to every wrestler. And it was just eye opening to me where you remember that. So if I can do those same memories for some kids and maybe high five the right kid and he really remembers my match and likes it, we could be almost inspiring the next Hulk Hogan's, John Cena's, The Rock's, Stone Cold's, um, all those guys, they all had to start somewhere. And they all, there's all something that like uh, clicked while they were a fan of wrestling. So I don't look at it anymore where I was trying to always keep going to WWE. I kind of gave up on that uh, as age keeps going and you're not like getting called, but you're, 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 you're doing a lot. You feel like you're sacrificing your body, but maybe it's not paying off. Then I realized, hey, maybe my goal is just to make kids happy. There's not enough. I can say in, in any anywhere, especially after this pandemic, um, it's, it's kind of cheesy. But, you know, what the world needs is more happiness, more love, more entertainment. So if that's my contribution and in coming to the world and leaving it a better place, then that's then that's that's what I want to do. So, uh, so yeah. Need, needless to say, you're you're excited to get back in there. And uh, I got to tell you, so I, I mentioned to a friend of mine who follows C4 in Ottawa that we were going to be interviewing you. And he said, Sexy Eddie's not retiring, is he? And I said, I, I don't think so. I've never heard anything about that. And he said, well, I think he was selling off his gear during the pandemic. I hope, I really hope he's not retiring because I, I'm not ready to see sexy Eddie leave the business. And I said, no, I, I'm pretty sure he's not retiring. I, Eddie loves wrestling. And I'm probably, he's probably itching to get back at it. I had, I had, again, as a wrestler, and especially when you've been doing it like for 20 plus years, you got to have more than one costume and more outfits. So some of them didn't fit as good or were starting to fade. Um, and I had, that was an old pair of boots. Yeah. People were writing me about that afterwards. And then some people said, hey, maybe you could also, maybe you'll get more fans to come out and see you if you say like, oh, maybe it's the retirement tour or something. But um, I didn't want to be like a Terry Funk or an Ian Rotten that has like, 
10 retirement tours and they get a new t-shirt to try and sell. And then they're still wrestling and stuff. Um, no, I just had some old stuff, just making some room. I don't know if I'll ever retire. And, and you know, this too, no wrestler ever retires. Sometimes you get a call back just to be a special guest referee or something. And um, even though we don't watch the mainstream, because for me, when I was stopped, when I stopped being a fan and being a rest, I became a wrestler. I kind of stopped watching wrestling because I kind of look at it like, um, I don't know, let's say your job is a mechanic. Do you watch car mechanic shows? No, you probably watch other stuff that takes you off your mind of, of what you do in life. So it was kind of, and, and I used to think of it this way. If I watch too much wrestling, I might do some of those moves or, or, or simulate what I just seen on TV and I thought, no, I want to be more pure. But again, that was my take on it. The more wrestling you watch, I think the old stuff you could improve. But if you're watching it fresh, like this was something too, when I started training, I remember um, I'd watch Monday Night Raw. I was starting to be a wrestler. So I wasn't a wrestler yet, but you'd watch something on Monday, a sequence, and then guys would be doing it on the shows at indie shows that weekend after. So it kind of was funny when I'm a fan, but I'm starting to become a wrestler. I'm like, Hey, they just watched this and they just did that same sequence. I'm like, that's not that original, you know, like, so it's, it's one thing to do a couple moves, whatever, but when you do a whole sequence in a row that you just saw on raw, uh, it, it wasn't my thing. So I just thought uh, maybe if I watch less wrestling and try and think up stuff on my own or whatever, it'll be more pure, but whatever to each his own. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask before we uh, put this podcast in, in gear today, I had asked you, you know, th if there's anything off limits and stuff. And it, it's odd asking someone like Sexy Eddie, because I have seen you do some eye opening things. Is there anything that you've ever done and then just kind of gone like, eh, like maybe I shouldn't have done that? Or you seem like you're such so comfortable in your own skin. Have you ever regretted anything? I, I am not, actually. I regret my whole career. I Every time I look back at something, when there's like highlight videos, and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, I put a garbage can on my head, and I jump backwards do, uh, off a cage. And, and it's like, does that make any sense? Like, you know, no. So, um, no. Uh, there's a lot of girls that I regret um, sleeping <laughs> with, too. But, uh, again, I got lucky. I got lucky. Um, so that's the thing is it's like, don't live with any regrets. If, if you survive to live another day, then, then, then learn from it. Just, there's only so many times though, like I say, you can do a certain crazy move until something happens. Uh, maybe the rope will be loose. Maybe you slip on something. Maybe your timing is off. And it, it's happened to me before where I used to do, um, shooting star press and different types of moves that, that, were, that were pretty cool and flashy. But you land once you land a bad way on it, it's kind of like you, you got a little fear. So from that, though, I learned that I can get the same reaction from a shooting star press than I can get when I rip off my pants during a match. And I always look at it like I can rip my pants off 10 times a day and get that great reaction. But a shooting star press... Let's say the guy's not there to catch me good. Let's say, again, like I say, the ropes were loose or something, um, you know, and just age. Let's say it's just age. Uh, it kicks in, and then you just kind of – you're a little short from your, from doing your full rotation or whatever, 
And that could mean the end of a career. That could mean like, you know, I've always said I want to end my career on my two feet and not in a wheelchair. And I think I'd like to hope that everyone thinks that way. Uh, I used to be when I was younger, I'm going to die in the wrestling ring. And um, it's not the best way to look at it. You want your fans to appreciate you forever, but you know, you don't need to die doing wrestling for your fans to appreciate you. It's not going to cement a legacy or anything dying in the ring. Um, you know, so wrestling is all about the memories and I, and I, I never talk about much of the win loss record because my win loss record is terrible, you know, but the thing is I can make a lot of memories where people would be like, Oh, you know, when he did that thing and he did that thing, and then the thing happened and this and that, you know, and that's, that's what you want people to talk about. So it's like, it's not about, like, again, if you could pull off a great Ironman one hour match, then that's awesome. But I, I leave with a couple fun things that I like to do in a match that people are like at intermission or even after the show, they're telling me, man, when you did that thing and everyone had their hand on your, on your junk and then you did an explosion and everyone went flying, it was awesome. So I, I know that, you know, at least I'm, um, at least I'm reaching some people and I made their night. Speaking about regrets. So you're a guy who, you know, I guess it was more in your younger years, but the death matches like that, that was something you never shied away from. So I'm curious for one, like internally, where did the motivation come from to do those matches? And two, now that you're, you're, you know, 20 plus years in the business, you're a veteran, any desire to do one of those matches again under the right circumstances? Um, okay. So, um, Sorry, the first part, if uh, how did I get into it kind of thing, right? Yeah. Well, like, you know, when we get into the business, there's some guys who, no, they're not, they're never going to do it, right? Not in a million years. Then there's guys who might say, I'll do one or two under the right circumstance. But you are, I wouldn't call you a deathmatch wrestler unless you'd consider yourself one, but you're a guy who never shied away from them. You, you do them on a regular basis. So, you know, I think that takes something, a lot of courage and a lot of balls. Um, And is that all it is courage and balls, or is there more to it than that? Um, When I got my foot in the door, like in the States, that's how I got in. And so I was getting uh, requests from other places to, uh, to do death matches and stuff. So, it, and, and I always thought, even when I was younger that, okay, since I'm, I'm getting known for this, that's going to be my only ticket to Japan, which is funny because my way to Japan was actually through comedy wrestling. When I, I realized that I had a, maybe a higher threshold for pain and that you get bigger oohs and ahs when you do death matches. It's IWS, we're doing bar shows and we're doing, uh, you know, it's 18 plus. Um, at C4, it's different. You have um, a, lot of, a lot of older people, but you have a lot of kids too. I would incorporate some of that, but I, wouldn't, I would do a hardcore match if needed for C4, but not a death match, just because of the crowd. Um, but then again, CZW, I mean, you're looking at the old ECW arena, so it has a reputation to take it to the next level. Um, and, you know, I thought for a while, I always said that, okay, that was, that was the last one, that was the last one. But it's funny because I've gotten a resurgence, which, um, so I have a couple United States dates, if everything works out, if everything kind of opens up, uh, and therefore like deathmatch requests, which is weird. So again, I can't compete on the same level as the kids that do today, 
that are doing things that I would never do. But I think they know that. And I think they know that I'm going to bring something different to it. And I'm going to make that match my own and I'm going to make it really good. So, um, yeah, it's not about maiming myself, but I'm going to put some entertainment in the death match, which was sometimes was, was lacking. That's, I think, why my popularity in deathmatch wrestling kind of uh, came out because they're like, hey, look, like, I was the first man to be in the queen of the deathmatch uh, in uh, IW Mid-South because they, a girl had a Mr. Plane, another girl had a car accident. So it was like, we're short, on, um, we're short on girls. Eddie, can you do something? And I was like, perfect. With my sex gimmick, like turned up the notch, uh, you know, and, and adding some of the violence, I was like, I'm the first one. I'd be like, let's empower the women. Sure, okay, you're giving me the first round. Okay, that's cool, uh, you know. But you wouldn't want to have a guy win the queen of the death match. I think that would take away from all the women that, that put their blood, sweat, and beers in this. Uh, but to, to take a spot like that and to make it my own, that's what I wanted to do. So I will be, I will be doing some other death matches though. But um, yeah, uh, that's another thing that makes me a little nervous too. But I think the guys that I'll be wrestling will know enough of my background. And uh, when I explain everything to them, I think it'll make sense, hopefully to them. Uh, if they're good workers, they'll, they'll understand. And um, yeah, it's going to still, people are still going to talk about it. I really think that, deathmatch wrestling people are starting to view it in a different light and i think there's a lot of guys out there now who are they're not just going in there and just hitting each other over the head with stuff right they're putting a lot of thought into the psychology of a deathmatch and you've always been one of those guys but uh, eddie did you watch dark side of the ring with nick gage by chance yeah 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 i I wrestled nick gage i think it was a month two months after he got out of prison too oh my gosh so then right before he went back in but you know i think like what that episode did was sort of it, it, it highlighted deathmatch wrestling as more than just you know ultra violence right like these these guys they have passion for wrestling and they want to tell a story and i think um gcw did they're doing a great job right now promoting themselves and deathmatch wrestling is a big part of what they do so you know i almost see like it, it's it's been a long time since um ecw and czw have sort of been at the top of the independence but i think a promotion like game changer um that's doing a lot of deathmatch stuff it's, it's kind of on a, a like a little bit of a resurgence. I don't know if you see that too. Yeah, I got to do two shows with Game Changer when they were starting out. Um, yeah, I, I watched some of the guys do stuff and I was like, man, I don't, like, I, I kind of was like, what am I doing here, you know? But I still brought something to the show. Um, actually, my first time there was wrestling Joey Janela after he had healed up from this big match he did where he got thrown off the top of a roof through light tubes and that kind of he started being the uh, internet darling and um so i wrestled him and then a few months maybe a year, no, a year later maybe or something like that uh they called me back just because dates didn't work out as much and also it's not that easy to go back and forth mm-hmm. over the border uh, that's right unless you have like work visas and all this stuff and the price of a work visa just so people know it doesn't compare to the peanuts we make doing this wrestling thing, selling t-shirts and stuff and the driving that we're doing and the sacrifice on our body. Absolutely. So I, I wrestled another show there against um, the, the daughter of uh, an, an, an extreme legend uh, was Supreme in the, he was on the West coast scene uh, for XPW. Uh, so I wrestled Sage Sin 
And so I did good there, but I was watching some of the other younger guys and they were killing it with like dry ice and stuff. And I was like, man, gusset plates, gusset plates, and these things that are these weapons that are a little too much for me. Like there's a couple things like I'll never touch razor wire. Barbed wire is one thing, but razor wire, once it gets in you, the more you fight, it keeps digging in you. And I'm like, you know what? I want to do other things than wrestling. So I don't want to have these gruesome scars that, uh, I'd have to work customer service or any job. And I'm like, you know, hi, may I help you? And as I'm talking, things start bleeding from my head. It's, it's just, uh, you know, I not to say that I don't love wrestling that much to do it like that, but I'll do it. I'll, I'll wrestle smart. Instead of, instead of wrestling hard, I'll wrestle smart now. And that's what you learn with age. And you got to learn that before an injury takes place. Cause it's like everyone will say that after they've beaten themselves up that like I should have wrestled like this but you know if you can learn that fast enough I'm not the best example because people be oh look at this guy jumping in light tubes what is he going to tell us to wrestle safe but I would say deathmatch wrestling is not for everyone you don't need to do it on your bucket list to be a complete wrestler you don't need to uh if you want to you could uh, but talk to people, talk to people that have done it and learn like any good magician. There are tricks to make things as safe as possible. And I want, I, I like, I watch magic and I see them cut a lady in half uh, with a saw. I don't want to know how they do that. Cause if I did, it wouldn't be fun anymore. But you know, once you learn and you get into wrestling enough and you love it enough that you want to try a little bit in this, then, then, you know, like I recommend talk to someone who's done it before and get some advice because we're all here to help the days of wrestling where people are trying to keep each other down for spots. I think that I'd like to think that that's over uh, and people now want to help each other. Like if anything, I want to help people achieve what I could not achieve. If I can help anyone get somewhere higher up, then that's awesome because you know what the, you know, I get a pat on the back for doing that. So um, that's it. Like uh, if we can all like pay it forward now, you know, whatever advice that you got from other people that helped you get to where you were, give it back to other young kids and, and have them save a couple of years or a couple injuries by giving them some good advice. So um, that's one thing that I can tell uh, for the fans and for, uh, wrestlers, if they can do that, you know, I want to talk because you kind of um, you kind of mentioned girlfriends, past, present, being a ladies man gimmick and, you know, doing the deathmatch stuff. Is is it easy on the girlfriends? Is it you know to, to have that type of gimmick? Like, do they appreciate you going out there and gyrating for people or do they appreciate you going out there and getting the, on the light tubes or the barbed wire? Kind of t- talk about some of the reactions that uh you know, the type of things that you do do, what kind of reactions does that get from significant others? Yeah, I, I don't think I got that many good reactions from, I, I never got anything positive from the death mattress. That's from, from, from girlfriends. There was never anything good about that. They didn't understand that um, the fans of that style of wrestling have a real love for it. And they want to take care of us. They don't want to see us die. They want to see us go to extremes, but and they take care of you afterwards and stuff. Um, girlfriends never appreciate that because, yeah, the day, the night of, they're taking glass out of my back. The next day, there's also some glass in my back. They, you know, they're, they're bandaging my wounds and stuff. So I don't think any of them, which makes sense, did not like the deathmatch wrestling scene. Uh, even as the character, 
I've had some that did not want to understand wrestling, so they did not get it. They thought I was, um, they thought I was actually having fun with girls every night. And I was telling them, no, this is kind of like a job and stuff, but they didn't get it. So those ones didn't last, um, you know, but the ones that do understand it and get it, those are the ones that last. Once they know that it's a show, once they've been to shows, once they've seen backstage and they've seen how we build a match, that it's not just me going out there, having my way on a girl and then playing with my friends. That's not like, you know, that's not what it's all about. It's, it's about doing, it's about doing a good job to entertain the people that paid for it. Uh, but you also want, if you have fun at the same time doing it, then that's a plus. So last kind of question on, on death matches before we move on. And we got to get into some Ottawa centric stuff here with you, but you know, you made a really interesting point. Uh, you know, when you watch magic, you, you don't want to know how it's done uh, with wrestling. You know, it's, it's almost like that ship has sailed and the cat's out of the bag and, and people know it's a work and you know, the, it's kind of the believability factor for a lot of fans is, is lost now, but with death matches, you're watching that and there's yes there's there's tricks as you said to do things as safely as possible but you can't argue that this is all you know real glass real barbed wire whatever the believability factor it's certainly it's very much there so do you, do you think that's maybe why some fans are starting to gravitate more towards watching deathmatch and deathmatch shows because you know that's that's still something they can believe in yeah it is and i i think um I think the UFC had a part to play in that, like uh, mixed martial arts, where people were like, well, we could see the fake stuff or we could see real stuff. And it made the game pick it up. It made professional wrestling, I think, get this subculture of the deathmatch wrestling to show like, no, this is real blood. This is real stuff that we're using. And then it got to a point where some fans, they just want to see those type of matches. And some of them will travel um, travel the world and follow the circuit. Uh, my one of my trips to Japan, I got to go visit everything with a fan, uh, this guy Yuki, and he had come down and seen me do four different deathmatch tournaments in the states in one year. And I was like, you know, how does he get to do this and stuff? He just loves it so much. He'd come like every two months to come to a show, let's say a deathmatch tournament, and and because he loved it so much. So. When I went to Japan, I was taken care of like royalty. So it was pretty cool how if I didn't do deathmatch wrestling, I don't even think that door would have been an, an option. It wouldn't have been an option for me. And I would have just been, you know, in the hotel room doing nothing, not knowing where to go instead of getting a catered tour to all the hot spots and the, the coolest things you could see in Japan. It, I feel that, yeah, fans are kind of sometimes wanting more, um, you have some more the comic stuff of rest, the comic side of wrestling, but then you have that dark side of wrestling where, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wrestling moves, but it's with real objects, with cinder blocks, with fire, you know, there's things that you can't, you can't fake it and you can't even try and, and make it go a certain way. When someone puts too much lighter fluid on something and they fall on it too fast or whatever, they're lit on fire and they're really burning. And it's like, yeah, there's, and, and the people only get to see that spot. They don't see the recovery time of whatever death match you do. My, my procedure was always after some of these matches would be like, um, especially a tournament where you're doing two or three matches in that weekend. When I get home, it's like, 
I'm shower, my, my girlfriend cleans everything out of me. I put on a black long sleeve t-shirt, black jogging pants, and I sleep like I'm in a coffin for the next, like for that day. Uh, shower again, take glass up the next day, sleep in black clothes again, just because I don't want to have blood all on my sheets. Nobody sees that, that it's a couple days to recover from this. They just see the, the, the 10, 15 minutes of action. So that's a part of it that um, you, I don't miss. I don't miss that part of it. So you got to be mentally prepared when you have a death match, even a hardcore match coming up. Cause um, even if it's just, uh, do you say just tables, ladders, chairs, uh, you know, there's still a lot of accidents can happen. You're doing big falls, you're doing big drops off ladders and stuff like that. Um, and the body's not meant to take some of these falls that we learned how to fall in wrestling. But when you're falling off of a balcony or something like that, um, you know, you're running on full adrenaline cylinders and uh, yeah, that the moment you hesitate on anything is the more chance you have of getting injured. It's almost like you got to go guns a blazing to not get hurt. Um, so yeah, the same mentality goes for the deathmatch wrestling, but I think that fans more, more now than before are, uh, are jumping on this, uh, and, and following this, uh, I think even, uh, there was a mention on Slammiversary, uh, where they mentioned Nick Gage's name on impact wrestling. Um, and so, you know, again, Kenny Omega, I, I've, I've had fun with him in Japan. We were roommates and stuff like that while I was down there. So, and to see him grow so, so much as he did is awesome. Um, I know he would probably be able to do a great death match, but I would say he doesn't need to, you know, if he wants to do one in his career, then maybe he will, but um, he's one of those guys that anything he touches is, is great. So I know that he would do a great job at it. Again, that being said, it, it, like that uh, exploding match with uh, John Moxley and, and uh, was it Kenny? Was it? Uh, Moxley and Kenny, yeah. Yeah. So to bring that into the, the mainstream was pretty cool. It um, got people talking. And I think people then now can go on the internet and type exploding ring match. And they'll see a bunch from Japan that are so much better. Um, not wrestling wise, but the, the way the explosions and things went that it, it'll make people want to see more of this. So it's, uh, yeah. Cause I am a huge, I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. I'm a huge fan of yours, Eddie, Thank but, you. but we've talked about Sammy Zay. We've talked about Kev, uh, Kevin Owens slash Steen. You just talked about Kenny Omega. These are guys that you have worked closely with, but have gone on to that big level. And I'm not saying that, again, I'm a huge fan of yours. Like, how did you not make that step? Um, I, this is my, my, when someone asks to give advice to young wrestlers, I always tell them, um, don't, uh, like, don't kind of um, count yourself out. Let someone else tell you that what you need to do better or something. I, I was always scared of rejection. And I never pushed forward to go to those tryouts, to go to those things, because I thought they would say no. But the worst thing of not going is you'll never get a yes if you don't go. So that was one of the things that was, I'd say, my biggest downfall was self. I was thought I'd get rejected and I didn't I didn't want that. So but, you know, it ended up it ended up being like my worst enemy. So it was my lack maybe in myself that 
didn't push me to go on. Those guys that we talked about, um, they knew what they can do. They, and they knew their potential. I kind of maybe, um, I was just scared. I, as I was like, when I was younger, I was scared of getting rejected by girls, uh, which was kind of the same thing. I didn't want to get rejected. I'm like, look, this guy's bigger than me. Whoa, this guy can lift more than me, but you know what? Maybe that's not what they're looking for at the time. Maybe they're looking for someone who has everything. Maybe they're looking for someone, you know, Hey, we need a guy to jump out of Pat Patterson's birthday cake in his underwear. You know, who else would you think of doing that? Some guys might be like, I can't jump out of a G string, but you know, they might have all the skill in the world. But um, so if I would have just went with it and tried harder, at least if they would have said no to me or gain uh, another 25 pounds of muscle, then at least I would have had something to go with. But I always was scared of getting rejected. So that I was my own downfall. So that that's what I got to say for that. I kind of feel like wrestling today though, is almost in a place where everything can change in the blink of an eye, right? Like, um, what's uh, like Eddie Kingston. So Eddie Kingston does that match against Cody on AEW. The fans love it. Um, you know, there's tweets at Tony Khan sign Eddie Kingston, and now he's a member of the roster. Right. And he's under contract to AEW. And that's, that's how quick things can change. And I always think, uh, I'm a believer that, um, the cream rises to the, the top. And I do think that people who put as much time and energy and effort into the business like you eventually do get rewarded. So I'm glad you're hanging in there. And I, I really, truly do hope something there's big things to come still for sexy Eddie. I want to say thank you for that. But even then, if I know that maybe for what I've done is good, if I can help other people, that's going to be my reward. Now at my age, I, I have a job with a pension and everything taken care of. So, um, I, I like I, I I can't ask for for that much more, especially at my age. I don't I don't want to wrestle every day. I can't I can't. Mm-hmm. Hey, it was fun when I was younger, but it's like, wow, you know, uh, it, it's a lot. So it's um I like doing it once in a while now. But I'm, I want people that I can influence that that I, they could skip like some of the, the the bad things that I went through maybe and get to where they need to get, then that's my reward. That's going to be my reward now. And that's how I see it. Um, I'm enjoying life also. So before everything was wrestling, everything was about wrestling. And now I like enjoying things other than wrestling. So um, yeah, maybe it helped open my eyes and stuff too. And this is how, how it was supposed to be my destiny or whatever. So, so be it, you know, but uh, you will be seeing me again in a ring and I'm going to make people laugh and I'm going to let people, <laughs> I, I swear we're gonna get to the Ottawa stuff here. Yeah, but let's go. We, you talk about no, no, no. You, you know what? I have to ask. I have to ask. Talk about sexy Eddie the chef, because one thing that's kept me entertained over the pandemic was watching Eddie cook on Facebook. Where does that passion come from? Um, I'm, I'm actually, I, I did a killer sauce last night. Actually, I'm a, re- I'm, I'm a good cook. I, I never took lessons, but I really love food. I love eating food. I love making it. I love making new tastes and stuff like that. But so I wanted to do the opposite of stupid stuff and really dumb things. And again, I had almost because there was no wrestling. So I had my storyline in my head. How many more of these dumb things can I do? Oh, let me just like pretend to chop off my finger and then I quit and I'll do something else. And that's what I did. So it's like did a couple episodes of how to make ice cubes, how to do toast or whatever I was doing. 
and um, just funny things. And um, yeah, I wanted to end that before, uh, you know, just, just, to, I just wanted to do something to keep myself entertained and to make some people laugh at least, um, you know, since I can't do it in the ring. So it was Who's... just some funny idea that I just was like, let me show what I can't do, but what in really like, I love to cook. So I, I like to cook a lot. Yeah. Who's the better cook, sexy Eddie or Pasquale, the Italian chef? Oh, Pasquale has. <laughs> no, he's uh, he's just leagues leagues above everyone. I mean, you know, again, that baguette is 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 magical. Some people won't get this, but Pasquale is a great transition to the Ottawa scene. So <laughs> let's let's jump into it then. Um, you know, I was talking to to Mark from C4 earlier and saying, you know, we're going to be having sexy Eddie on the podcast and. He goes, uh, you know, like looking back at that first C4 show in, in 2007 that both you and I were on, Mark said, I'm pretty sure Sexy Eddie was the first guy I booked for C4. That's got to be something special to you, right? It is. And especially to see it grow to the point it got to was amazing. Like, um, and, and the thing I admired a lot about C4 was let's keep it kind of in a smaller place, but fill it up every time. And it grew, it grew, it grew. And, and um, again, Mark had a passion. I, I want to say he still has it, but now he has a family. So it's like, you know, sometimes you realize, hey, how much time do I want to put in this thing? But um, he made it great. I mean, also with a great team he had with him um, to take care of things, to book the, the guys. Yeah, it's really cool because you see uh, – you, I've been through a lot of promotions where they've had one to three shows and they called it quits. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so to be on shows, especially a first show that, uh, man, it's, I'm going to say, we, what did we do? I, I remember getting a patch for 10 years, being there for 10 years, but I can't remember if that was like a couple of years ago. But even then, I don't count the pandemic as you can't add those years to things. But, uh, you know, it's been going on and strong uh it's it's uh even spun off to do the like the cancer fights shows which yeah, fighting back yeah fighting back have raised so much money um and like mark could be proud to say that c4 has had uh some of the world's top talent uh pass through there and then reach higher levels of greatness uh you know so he was able to see some people before they were uh, before they were as good as they became to book them on the show. Uh, and, you know, you, you could say when you, you booked, uh, you know, Cody Rhodes, you booked uh, a lot of names that are like awesome and on the big screen right now of wrestling. So um, again, hats off to Mark. Uh, I know when he does start back, I know he's going to be starting back with a bang. It's going to be big. Uh, and you know, I'm going to be on those shows for sure. Uh, I was just starting to, to, I was at the tip of the iceberg doing a lot of funny stuff with uh, one of my, my good friends, Puff. Yeah. Just the dynamics of that. It was so cool to find a kid. Actually, uh, we saw a mural and there was a, the year said 1996 on it, I think. And I told Puff, I said, wow, I had started uh, college that year. And Puff was like, whoa, I was just born that <laughs> And it was just a random thing. And that was the first time that we actually got to wrestle with each other. But after that, we realized that we had more in common than we did that, that, that we didn't have in common. So it's pretty cool to be that much of an age difference, but to see wrestling the same way 
and to see it not only as uh, a technical chess game in the ring, but to see it as an enter- a form of entertainment for the crowd and everything. So that was really cool. And I'm looking forward to continuing that story uh, with Puff at C4 uh, in front of all the fans in Ottawa. So it's really, it's going to be good. Um, yeah. So you mentioned Puff, Eddie, and I know, I know Puff looks at you as a mentor and, and kind of, you know, the whole concept with C4 when it started was, um, there was, you know, myself, uh, Dino Cheeky, Ryan Rush, Jay Rukin, Jay Reynolds, um, Chaz Lovely, a bunch of Ottawa guys who, you know, we had, we had a small pocket of, of wrestlers in Ottawa and, um, you know, not a lot of, of veterans. We had Michael Von Payton as a veteran that we could lean on, but not a, a really big pocket of veterans for us to lean on. So Mark's whole concept with C4 when it started was kind of like, I want to bring in a bunch of guys so that you guys, the Ottawa guys, the young green guys in Ottawa can get better and learn from these veterans. So, you know, who are some of the, the younger talents that have come along in C4 or in APW that you've sort of, you know, mentioned Puff, obviously, but who else has kind of caught your eye or who else have you been able to, to kind of offer that veteran uh, leadership and mentorship to? I'd like to think that um, every guy that I've had a match with that had less experience, maybe picked something up for me, what to do, or maybe what not to do. And sometimes I tell people, if I can't give you advice in wrestling, I can give you advice in life. Like I tell them all the time, it feels better without a condom, but no, you just met this girl, put on a condom. You're going to be stuck with the kid. So if I gave them that advice and they come back to me and like, Eddie, thank you so much. I, I would have been stuck with that woman. I would have probably quit wrestling and uh you know she sleeps around all the time this chick so thank god that i didn't get a kid with her um so again there's life lessons too that you can learn with a sexy eddie match and stuff like that um but all the guys that you mentioned uh like i've wrestled them a lot of them at the beginning i don't know if we ever locked up if we did Never no, got like, the chance. No, well, maybe this will be what pulls me out of retirement. I'm the one guy who hasn't come out of retirement. And you know what? And, and if you want, you might, you, you might learn what not to do, or you might sometimes be like, Oh, okay. This is easier than I thought or whatever. Um, that's the thing we all, I feel we all start with a head of steam and we want to do a hundred different moves when we start wrestling, but it's not what you do. And you'll learn this after it's how you do it. And it's, it's when you do it and it's, it's pacing. Um, so I think all these guys, I can say they've improved because they all would, would start out like, you know, train full steam ahead. And now they can really dictate the, the match so that the crowd, like it's almost like we're the puppet master and the crowds are puppet. When you can control them like that to do what you want them to do, then, then you really, you've gotten to the next level of, of wrestling. So um, that's like, I think you mentioned like the um, Jay Rukins, uh, you know, the Chaz Lovely, uh, even, even what he could do now, even doing acclaim wrestling, he's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, injuries, you never know when they'll happen. And it was something that was unfortunate, but um, for the strength for him and his family to continue on with acclaim and to make it, what it is and build it up to what it what it is now is awesome absolutely so yeah. yeah shows how much love that uh that chris has for wrestling because you know someone gets injured and then that's it but it's like mm-hmm. you know he, he was still able to do some stuff i don't know how much and sometimes 
you look at uh, guys even on TV like um, Brian Danielson or is it Daniel Bryanson? Where you know the the one you I, I know him from before from Ring of Honor, um, a guy like him uh, or even like Edge, where it's like broken necks and then it's like ten years later or whatever they're coming back and they're full time on the roster. You never know. Maybe with modern uh, science and stuff like that, again we don't have the budget as they do. So it's a different story, but you know, sometimes you can come back and you can wrestle smarter. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to wrestle harder. And if you have a good character and the crowd's into it, then you can go far with that. Cause C4 right now is, is not what it was when we were all there at the beginning, you know, it got, it got a lot bigger. So um, even guys like me, I got bumped off a couple of years ago where it was like, yeah, Eddie, you're, you're not big enough to be on the show. And, and I was like, okay, I get it. You know, but because um, there was a crop of new talent that are coming in all the time from every state, from every province that you're like, wow, look at this kid. He's amazing. So you can't. One thing that Mark had, I, I have to say, his, his problem when he started doing shows, um, he loves everyone so much that he couldn't say no to someone. So he's probably the nicest promoter on earth, isn't he? <laughs> well, you might, you know, the first show he had, let's say he had 16 wrestlers on it. Then the second show he had maybe 20, then it went to 24, then it went to 30, then it goes to 36. Like, you know, he couldn't say no to people. And, and then after a while he had help where they said, okay, let's book different people. But um, so all this to say that, yeah, at the beginning, he just wanted everyone to be wrestling on his shows. But, you know, then you're stuck with a four-hour show and no one could sit through that. So he just did what a promoter has to do and pick what he thinks would be best for the show. And so I was lucky enough to actually do a, a fighting back show and get re-noticed by Mark and say, hey, man, this, this guy, I think he still has something. So um, and just being at the right place with the right time with the right guys in the ring we're able to do something really good. Yeah. I was going to say it, it helps keep you fresh too, right? Like if you, you go away for a bit and then the fans may, they'd forget about you maybe, but then when you come back for the first time and you get that big pop and all of a sudden like sexy Eddie's fresh in the fans eyes again, it's, you know, that's, that's what you do it for, right. Is the big reception. So, um, yeah. you know, there's a guy like you has been around for so long, you know, taking a break, I could see, you know, the benefit to a promoter to say, like, okay, if I give Eddie a few months off and then I bring him back, he's going to, the fans won't take him for granted, right? Like they, they're going to give him that big welcome back pop. Um, Yeah. So C4 and APW. So we're pretty fortunate here in Ottawa. Like it's, it's been 10 years plus for both promotions and running stable shows. So, you know, in that time, what are some of your favorite memories from both C4 and APW? Um, APW oh. right off the bat, I have to say the catering backstage, the food, that's the main, <laughs> my favorite. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you know, there, there was always a good spread of uh, for acclaim pro wrestling. My, my favorite thing was the family bonding that, that, that it was, um, where Chaz is wrestling, where his sister's announcing, where his dad is doing the, um, the music and, 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 uh, and sometimes as a heel character, um, where his mom is is helping with merch and selling hot dogs and stuff. Um, I thought it was an amazing uh, way to bring a family together. Um, it's just, it was really nice to see that. I've seen that a few times before, but not that many. There was one promotion in Quebec called CRW. Same thing. The brother was wrestling. The sister was videotaping. The dad was working the... Um, 
the concession stand uh, with the mom. Uh, it was great. I, in Jersey All Pro, I remember seeing a young um, Jay Lethal. And Jay Lethal, his dad is working uh, the, uh, the concessions, helping set up the ring. His sister was selling merch and stuff. And I mean, his whole family was getting into it. And that was in Jersey All Pro. But they just supported their son at what he was doing and helping out at all these shows. And I think that that probably helped get Jay Lethal further up the card because they're like, man, he has his whole family behind him, cheering him and helping out at the shows. So um, at Acclaim, that was my favorite thing was really the, um, the, uh, the family atmosphere that I, I thought that was one of the coolest things, coolest memories in the ring and stuff. Um, the camaraderie too was, was really good because I got to meet some good people and uh, I was given some good matches there too. Uh, working Jay Rukin, Cecil Nix, um, doing a lot of stuff with Chaz. Uh, and Chaz is also big on the intergender matches, which is something that I can excel at. Um, so getting to do some of those, the last ones that I can remember too, that were, uh, were a lot of fun. Chaz is never someone neither that... Um, would say like, uh, you, you'd always say, do what you got to do kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not as scripted. Um, C4 is a little more structure because I think they were maybe more limited on time. Plus they had, uh, if they still have uh, guys from the Dark Order that were uh, Stu and and, uh, and Evil Uno taking care of a lot of the stories and stuff. So they're maybe more structured at... Uh, timing of the matches what to do what not to do and stuff um which is good because when you have guys that have worked on tv they know how tv is a little bit more and you know what it it, it grooms and gets everybody ready that who knows we're not all of us are going to make it there but if we do we do know a little bit how to adapt to it so they're they're helping us out with um their knowledge um so that's, I think C4 has a lot more structure. Um, but again, I've had some great reactions from the crowds when we've had those places, uh, Knights of Columbus sold out. And um, yeah, I had one entrance where I think somebody wrote to me once and they said, someone that was working at C4 and they're like, I haven't heard a pop that loud when you came back since, uh, I think it was Jushin Lager, Jushin Thunder Lager, or was it Ultimo Dragon? One of Dragon. them, yeah, that's at the fighting Dragon, back show, and they said that was the set. They told me that uh, your entrance, your um, surprise entrance in this match, was the second loudest thing I ever heard, and I was like, "Wow, that's you know, a good that, company right there." Yeah, exactly. That was really cool for me to hear that, not just from a, a fan, but from someone that one of the staff that worked there at all the shows. So at least he's been at a lot of shows to say that, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Um, so, I mean, we're maybe, gosh, a few months away again from having shows running in Ottawa, C4 and APW shows. Anything in particular you're, you're looking forward to when you, when you get back to C4 and APW? Um, I, I, uh, I hope I still get those you still got it chance. That would be really appreciated, guys. Hint, hint, you know. I know to continue something with Puff there, the crowd really wants it. We had a lot of good ideas together. So I'm looking forward for that. Um, you know, it's just to see how things are. We're all coming back from this. Some people will be stronger. Some people won't be as strong. 
some people that we were hoping to see in wrestling might not be in wrestling anymore. It's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff up in the air that um, even promotions, some promotions probably will be like, Hey, we're not interested in reopening, but if everything goes well, um, I hope to be back at acclaim and at C4 um, doing what I do best and making people laugh. Um, that's what I'm looking more forward to too. Also, I could say, is the backstage, the camaraderie with everyone, but it is also being there live and being able to shake people's hands and hug people again and uh, just bring joy to their lives. Because, um, you know, you go to school or you go to work Monday to Friday. If you're a wrestler, this is what we have to look forward to. If you're a wrestling fan, it's also what you have to looking forward to to just yell and just let it all out of your system. So, um, yeah, I'm... I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the fans, to the wrestlers, uh, to the wrestling, not as much. I'm old. My matches have to be <laughs> short and sweet, but I want, I want to give, I want to make people have a, a lot of fun. You know, you, you've, you're a guy who's pretty much done it all, but what's left on your bucket list in wrestling? Um, you know, actually this was a couple of years ago. I wanted to have sex with Sonny, but um, then I realized. I think you have a chance at this still. Well, no, we can t- say it's the next day or the next day. Yeah. Well, whatever. We can talk. We can talk. We can say it like I had a, a, a fucking migraine and just I <laughs> sure. I literally when I hit that button and I said like, bye. Yeah. And I and like, I know it was quick. Yeah, it was. It was like end meeting for all. And I just took yeah. my headphones off and just sat here and just like, oh, dear God, that hurt. Like, yeah. So how did you how did you feel after it was done? How did you feel after our first interview, your first interview? Yeah, I mean, what did I say to Eddie at the start? I said, like, you've worked lots of green wrestlers and now it's time to uh, have an interview with a green podcaster. So uh, but overall, yeah, like, I mean, the nice thing about Eddie is he's so personable. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, I, I know him a little bit from our time in wrestling. Like I said, didn't get to know him well, but um, certainly it, it didn't feel like a cold call, uh, you know, talking to him for the first time or anything and, you know, walking on eggshells or anything. Like we talked about in the interview, uh, reputation is he's an easygoing, really nice guy. So uh, not surprised it was, uh, you know, kind of a fun and laid back and lighthearted interview. And he provided us with, you know, tons of uh, thoughts and insight. I need, I need to ask when he said to you, I'm not sure if we've ever locked up or however he put it. Cause it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did that make you feel when he was like, uh, I'm not sure if we've ever hooked up. Like, Oh no, I was, I, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> no, we're talking in a wrestling context, obviously. No, no, obviously. Yeah. We're talking. Oh my Lord, dude. There's certain <laughs> things even up. sexy edit. Well, I know. Sorry. <laughs> If, oh, well, actually, I think I think that's what he said. Like hooked, hooked up, or we hooked, locked hook up, up locked up. Lock oh, up. Yeah, maybe yeah. it was locked up. Uh, how does it make you feel that we never wrestled, basically? Uh, yeah, like obviously. Well, no, no, not yeah. that, but the fact that okay. he's like, I, I don't know if I've ever wrestled you. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, no, because think about it. He's had, I, I don't know, know thousands it is of kind matches. Of, it is kind of um, understandable, but you might yeah. be just like, why don't you know who I am? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> No, it, it all becomes a blur after a while. Like, you know, someone with a resume like me, who's, you know, hundreds of matches less than Eddie. Um, I have trouble remembering who I wrestled and where and when and what building it, it just, it all sort of blends together. And you hear that quite often, like, 
some people have a good memory for that stuff. Some people don't, but I would not hold it against anyone who was like, have we, did we ever wrestle? Like, I can't remember because sometimes I forget to. So when you pulled uh, uh, Eddie kind of, cause it, it, we had talked about, we were going to do interviews and, and who we're talking to. Uh, we had talked about Eddie, but, and we had maybe said like, Hey, you know, Eddie would be a good person to get on here. You know, it was kind of that conversation we had in, I guess, what, week two about um, kind of like the adopted sons and daughters in the Ottawa area. And um, it was just going back to sort of my time in C4, which was the first few years. And um, there were certain guys that you saw um, every month there. And Eddie was definitely one of them. And again, when APW opened up shop, Eddie was another guy who was um, getting regular bookings there. So um, in a way, like we left him out of that conversation as an adopted son or daughter of, of Ottawa wrestling. But um, I think you could add him to that list. So um, yeah, and it's, it's his experience in his resume in wrestling too, right? So he's a, he's a guy who who's done it all. We talked about that in the interview, you know, he can work a, a family friendly um, a wrestling event as sexy Eddie, just as well as he can go and work a death match as sexy Eddie. So, um, there's a lot to him in his career, which um, makes it a very interesting interview, I think. And the last thing that I, I really want to ask you about is uh, you talked about how the two of you were on the debut show of C4. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned on the podcast how you're pretty tight with Mark from C4. Were yep. you tight with Mark before? c4 or because of c4 yeah yeah Yeah, so uh, now what i want to know is what what was the feeling going in like you know the night one c4 do you remember the feeling because we're talking like more than 10 years ago now do you remember Mm -hmm. the feeling of that first show knights of columbus the whole thing Yeah, no, it, it felt like a bigger, not a bigger deal, but it felt like a big deal. It was the first show and you obviously wanted to go out and make a good impression. And we knew um, where Mark wanted to take C4. So we thought like, okay, like this is going to be a, a different type of platform for us, right? Like it, these are shows that because of who Mark is booking, uh, like guys like Kevin Steen, El Generico, um, who else at the time, some Chikara guys, we knew we were going to be exposed to different audiences who we wouldn't normally be exposed to on just uh, a regular UWA show, for example. So, you know, Mark was putting out DVDs and they were available for sale on Smart Mark Video. Um, I don't think at the time there was any other promotion that we were working for um, that really was offering that to such a wide audience. So yeah, there was, there was definitely some internal pressure to, to go out there and do a good job, which I think kind of backfired because um, you know, one thing is when you're green, you try and do too many things. And uh, sometimes when you do too many things, things don't go as well as what, uh, you know, as you hope they would, or mistakes will happen along the way. So uh, you know, like kind of typical eager green guys, we packed too much stuff into our match. And I think there was a, a botch spot, which is going to happen, but just, you know, we should have, we should have just done what we were doing well and, you know, ad- adapt a few things here and there and go put on a good match. Uh, it was myself and Jay Reynolds against Matt Gray and Chaz Lovely. So we had wrestled each other, like, I don't know how many times enough to, to go in there and, and put on a good match. But yeah, we just, I think we all, got caught up in the moment of being on that first show and um, wanted to try some new things and some worked and some didn't. All right. Anything else you want to cover? Um, yeah. So the, the, yeah, no, I'm just thinking like the, the ad for brew revolution. I don't know. We were just talking about them. 
is that is that good enough yeah it's different (laughs) it's different it's different but did did we hype them up enough um well like okay what okay brew revolution brewrevolution.ca uh they're based out of stittsville what else were you hyping uh, like once we kind of get into a good flow of doing things you listen to Cornette's podcast right sometimes yes yeah so i love the way they do ad reads they just like they just find a point in the podcast where they can make a link to one of their sponsors. Yeah. And uh, it's very natural sounding. Like you almost forget you're hearing an advertisement or something. Yeah. Um, that would be awesome if we can find a way to do that going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but what? Okay. So we've covered they're a craft brewery and beer hall in Stittsville, Ontario. They offer 30 different taps of beer, all house made and numerous guest taps from other breweries. They also have cider, wine, and craft soda. Uh, They offer a delivery service in Ottawa every Tuesday and Friday. Their patio is currently open, so if you want to go and grab a beer with your friends, you can do that now. They have curbside pickup available every day of the week. They have an awesome food menu as well, including a killer lobster mac and cheese, which is to die for. That's the ad right there. That's the ad. That's the ad. That's the ad. It's short. Yeah, yeah I know. I told them like 60 to 90 seconds. Oh, you told them 60 to 90 seconds? Yeah. God damn um, it. Hold on. Let me regroup here. Okay. Um, Award. They, you, so, you told me they won awards. Yeah. Um, I just what don't awards know they, did they win? For their beer? That's Yeah, for their beer. But I don't know if they're actually like they've listed on their site. Okay. What? Um, oh, their snack menu is making me hungry too. Who doesn't want a charcuterie board at 11 p.m.? A what? A charcuterie board. It's very Francais. The oh, okay. charcuterie board. You know, it's like the, the wooden boards when you get the, the salamis and the pepperonis and the tiny cheeses and the jams and the crackers and all that stuff. Oh, okay. Okay. Those okay. Fancy okay. Things, you know? All right. I love how they've designed their beer menu. They have side A and side B as if it was like a vinyl. Some of their beers that I know have been around since kind of the start of when they started brewing. Um, so for example, did you just say brewing, 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 strange brewing, brewing. <laughs> brewing. This podcast is making me thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> I could go for a walking on sunshine, which is a N E I P A or perhaps a Lola, which is a nice Oslo lager. How about house of the rising sun, a golden rye ale? Or luck be a lager tonight, American light lager. If you like a fruitier beer, they've got a blueberry beret or a pear necessities. But my personal favorite is drop it like it's hopped, a West Coast IPA. You think if we actually do well, they'll name like a beer after us? That'd be cool as shit. I that would so. be. Um, yeah, that would be really cool. Gotta have goals. <laughs> 